welcome to Calvary. My name is Dade and I serve on the tech team. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God, and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. It's a great first step to joining our church family, but it's also about daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God and find a small group that you can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk with one of our volunteers or staff after the service. I'm so glad you're here. It's a difficult path, this life we've chosen. Never slowing down, never giving up, breaking barriers, pushing limits. Because pain is temporary, but victory is eternal. Passing what lies behind, pressing on, fighting for what lies ahead. A new path, a new life. It's May, 1987. I'm with our high school track team participating in a regional competition. And on the bus ride there, I overhear some teammates and some coaches talking about a number of different higher profile, <clears throat> excuse me, athletes that will be competing today. And one name in particular was a distance runner. His name was floating around almost as if he was legendary in southern Minnesota. I don't really think much of it. I'm just a little known runner from a small farming community. But my stomach is churning with adrenaline as I anticipate both the pain and the exhilaration of the race. Well, as dusk turns to dark, the lights on this large football field come on and on the track that encircles, encircles it. The stands are full of people from all across the southern part of the state. My mom and my brother are there, although I don't know where they are because they're just lost in this sea of faces. In this particular competition, the 3,200-meter race was the last of the evening, kind of like the grand finale. I had run, I'd already run the 1,600-meter race earlier that evening and was now lining up for the long one. 3,200 meters, eight laps around the track. Moments before the gun goes off, I have this thought trickle through my mind. I wonder who that runner is that they were talking about, this legendary guy who's supposed to be so good. I wonder if I could keep up with him. Well, there's only one way to find out. The gun goes off, and if you've ever seen a race like this, whether it's on TV or you've been a part of one, there's always this jockeying for position right away as, as the runners take off. Well, I recognized the back of the jersey of the guy uh, from uh, the, of the town that he was supposed to be running for, and so I pull up behind him. And the pace of this race was nothing like I had experienced so far. It was exhilarating. The two of us pull away from the bulk of runners behind us, and he notices me close behind him and tries to shake me. He sprints ahead and then slows down. 
while he's shouting obscenities over his shoulder at me to back off. And then he would sprint ahead and he would then back off again. I keep pace with him at every step. His coach was on the backside of the track and every time we would run by, he would be chirping me. And as tired as I was and how much my body hurt, I was determined to not lose this guy. Well, we come to the last lap and the bell rings. He takes off at a pace that we had not run yet. I wasn't sure I could do this any longer. And so I remember praying, oh God, please help me. It was an amazing race. Well, we are in a series in the book of Philippians. <laughs> that is so good. I love that tension. <laughs> We're in the book of Philippians. Yeah. <laughs> And we're going to pick it up in chapter 3, where we left it off last November. Paul is writing to a church in a city called Philippi to believers that he really enjoys. Probably his favorite people of all the churches that he had, that he had planted around Asia Minor and around Macedonia. He loves these people. They just seem to bring each other so much joy. Well, we pick, off, we pick up where we left off. The Apostle Paul is concerned that these followers of Jesus Christ will slide into legalism, which is strict adherence to the letter of the law. And in the arena of following Jesus Christ, it's thinking that will earn us our salvation. That will make us right with God. Instead of trusting in the righteousness of Christ that we looked at, or the right standing that we have with God that comes to each person who trusts Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. Well, later on in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of a race. And so this is the beginning of a three-part series that we've entitled The Amazing Race. And today, we look at the pursuit. Here's our text. If you have your Bible or your device, please turn to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. I want to know Christ, Paul writes, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. For Paul, his pursuit is knowing Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would help this text, your word, come alive in our hearts. I commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. For Paul, his pursuit is knowing Christ. But this is not a, a, a knowing facts about him. We can study great ancient empires of Egypt, and we can know many facts about their leaders. We can know every possible stat of our favorite athlete or team. We can go online and we can read about celebrities. We can see pics of their houses. We can watch every movie that they've ever played in but we'll never know the leaders of those of Egyptian empires personally. And we probably won't know our favorite athletes or our celebra favorite celebrities. 
there are many facts that we can learn about Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul spent three years in quiet isolation just studying who Jesus was from the Old Testament. The reality is there will always be more to learn. But that's not actually what Paul is talking about here. I'm sure most of us have had enough of empty religion. Only knowing facts and following rules in order to appease an angry deity. Paul is talking about here an experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. An intimacy that is deeply profound and personal where we experience his presence in a meaningful relationship with him. That's what Paul's talking about. You see, as we studied a few weeks ago, there's really two seats of knowledge within us. The seat of our cognitive knowledge, that's where facts are stored. And then there's the seat of our experiential knowledge, where we learn truth because we've experienced it to be true. When Paul penned these words, it had been 30 years since he first met Christ on the road to Damascus. And it birthed a passion to actively pursue knowing Christ more. The words, I want to know Christ, they express a longing of the heart that already knows about Christ. In fact, it has a relationship with him. In fact, Paul has probably known Christ more intimately than any of us ever have. To experientially know Christ was the overarching, it was the unfolding ambition of Paul's life. A longing for an ever-deepening, an ever-widening personal experience of the Son of God. It's the richness, the richness that I think that all of us are looking for in a relationship with God. It's what energized Paul. It was the fuel to his unrelenting devotion to the epic quest of of sharing Jesus Christ with the people around him and starting churches with those people. Paul's intense longing was born out of love. Because when we love someone, we want to get to know them more and more. One aspect of a healthy marriage is that we continue, continue to learn and explore our spouse. I can know lots about Lorianne, but it is a lifetime of getting to know her and all the mysterious aspects of her personality, who God has created her to be, including all of those that I'm never going to understand. Can you say with Paul, I want to know Christ no matter what? Paul then gives us two windows into how we can know Christ more. First one is knowing Christ in his power. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Roughly 2,000 years ago, on the first day of the week, Christ's cold body lay on chilled stone in the arms of death. His heart was stilled. It had stopped in the icy grip of the grave. Whatever blood was left in his veins had coagulated by now. 
His eyes were fixed and dilated. His body was doused with spices and tightly wrapped into, uh, into the grave clothes. But then before dawn, his vacant eyes blink open. And they course with light, focused and glittering with life. And with the ease of omnipotence, that's that unlimited power of Almighty God, his body leaves the wrappings like an empty cocoon. The power of the resurrection here in verse 10 is God's power. It's God's power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's his life-giving power that, that flows through us, that was deployed in, in raising Christ. And it's the power that God uses to bring about and to sustain his new life in each one of us when we submit our life to him. That's incredible power. Each person who surrenders their life to Christ goes through a type of resurrection. Scripture says that before we came to God through Jesus Christ, that we are dead in our sins. Our spirit is separated from God. We are spiritually dead. But when we repent of our sin... When we trust Jesus for his forgiveness of our sin, his power, God's power, rushes in and brings our spirit to life. Paul explained it this way to believers in a city called Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your sins and the things you did against God. You lived the way the world lives, following the ruler of the evil powers that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. But God is rich in mercy. He loves us very much. We were spiritually dead because of all that we had done against him. But he gives us new life together with Christ. It's his grace by that, that we're saved by. When we, when we surrender our life to him. It is because we are in Christ that God raises us from the dead and seats us together with him in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians chapter 2. It takes nothing less than the limitless power of creative, the creator God to perform this transformation within us. And Paul Paul wants to know Christ through experiencing. He wants to walk in this profound power of the resurrection. And we'll talk about in a minute what that actually looks like. The second window into how we can experience Christ more is knowing Christ in his suffering. Verse 10. I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, if I'm honest with you, I don't know about you, but I bristle at things like this in Scripture. I don't like it. My flesh doesn't like it. I don't want to suffer. I like my comfort. I like pleasure. I always want things to go well and right. I want no hiccups, no obstacles. Nothing getting in the way. I never want a financial crisis or an unexpected bill. I want people to always treat me well and to never be offended or hurt in relationships. 
But those are just unrealistic expectations, in this life at least. Even Jesus warns us that offense will come, trouble will come, suffering is a normal part, it's an expected experience as we walk with Jesus. Paul teaches in one place that it is through many tribulations that we must enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul writes to the Philippian believers just earlier on in this book, in, in chapter 1, verse 9, 29, he says, He, Christ, has also given you the honor of suffering for Christ. Well, according to the Bible, suffering with Christ is a divine gift. It is a sign of sacred intimacy with Christ. Apparently, suffering is essential for knowing Christ in the fullness of who he is. And in the fullness of what Paul desires to experience him in. You know, one author writes that the fellowship of Christ's suffering moves a believer beyond the role of just benefiting from Christ. We always like to benefit from God and his death, to becoming a sharer in his sufferings. The suffering of a believer is not a sign of God's neglect. And I want you to hear this with your spirit. Suffering is not a sign of God's neglect, but rather proof that grace, his grace, is at work in our life. I find that a tough swallow. Notice, though, that Paul calls it the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. That means that we are not alone. We are not alone in our suffering. When we view suffering from God's perspective, there is a connection between us and Jesus that can't be obtained any other way. It's a connection that nothing else can bring. Is that how you view your suffering? I usually like just to complain about mine. We experience. We get to know Jesus in a very personal and profound way when we meet him in the midst of our suffering. You know, it's easy to worship God in the mountaintops. It's easy to worship God when things go well, when we're victorious, when we can rise above the challenges in, in front of us. But it is far more meaningful, it is far more significant to worship Him in the valleys when we can't necessarily see what's happening next. We can't even necessarily see what God is doing in our life. That, to worship Him there and to meet Him there where this profound connection can come from. So even though I don't like it, here's what I've concluded. If suffering is a normal part of life, that I can't, actually none of us can escape, then I might as well view it from God's perspective. 
and to seek to not only experience his presence in the midst of it, but how to know Christ deeper through it. Could we take Paul's words and could we turn them into a prayer? It could go something like this. God, I want to experientially know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. But how can we experience him? How can we experience his power and, and suffering, you might be asking? Well, that's a really good question. And I've been wrestling with this. Experiencing the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of, of his suffering, they go hand in glove. Suffering and God's power go together. They actually can't be separated. It's like a one-two punch for us growing closer to God. But if that's true, and I believe Scripture teaches that it is, then didn't Paul get this backwards? Where we're supposed to experience suffering first, and then we experience the power of his resurrection. Like, I found myself a little frustrated as I was reflecting on this. Because the order that Paul puts this in makes me feel so hopeless. If the last thing that I experience is suffering, then that would mean that I'm stuck in suffering the rest of my life. And if that's true, then what good is the power of the resurrection? That would mean that it has no effect on me. No effect for this life. And to relieve the suffering that we face. And if that is true, oh, I find it so discouraging. So overwhelming. I feel reluctant to pray this as a prayer. I want to know Christ intimately like that, yes. But the cost just seems too high. I can get lost in my fear of suffering. But here's what I've learned. These two phrases, the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering are two closely linked expressions that form one single dynamic thought in relation to knowing Christ. That's the way the Greek is worded here, as I understand it. These two phrases mutually interpret each other. What does that mean? Well, consider this. Experiencing the power of the resurrection is something that often comes immediately after we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. The initial sign of knowing Christ is often the power of joy that we just can't explain. It bursts within us. Have you experienced that? There is often a resiliency and a buoyancy deep within that we don't have words for. I've heard people exclaim that there's a great weight that has been lifted off their shoulders. Others say that a lightness has come to their step as though, 
They have been released from the heaviness and the worries and the anxiety of this world. Perhaps this has been your experience. Perhaps you have your own stories of what it was like when you first surrendered your life to him. If so, come talk to me. I'd love to hear your story and your experience. It is through experiences like these that the power of Christ's resurrection provides the strength in order to face the suffering and the motivation to bear well through it. I don't think any of us can face the fellowship of Christ's suffering within what we have in ourselves if we haven't first experienced the power of his resurrection. God's power can be so exhilarating that it, it gives us hope when suffering comes. <clears throat> we don't pursue suffering, but when it comes, that's when we cry out for the power of his resurrection. You see, it, it starts with power so that we can face suffering and when we face suffering, we turn immediately to the power and seek out his power. It's like a drum. It looks like this. That drum that has two strings goes back and forth. I, I used to love playing with that when I was a kid. Let's make this tangible. Keep this drum in mind as, as, as I give some examples. When an unexpected bill hits, instead of being overcome with fear... We immediately seek him for how he will provide for us to pay this bill. Yeah. Suffering, power. When we face a diagnosis or something as simple as fighting a cold, instead of just accepting it, we immediately seek his power for healing. Suffering and power, suffering, power. When discouragement and depression starts to knock on our door, Instead of sliding into despair, we seek his power in the midst of those feelings. When conflict blows up a relationship, instead of closing off our heart, excuse me, instead of closing off our heart and then pushing the other the person out of our life, we seek God for the self-awareness of where we have gone wrong in this thing. And the courage to humble ourselves in asking for forgiveness. Suffering, power. Suffering, power. Do you see how this is working? When we give into temptation or some vice in our life, instead of spiraling into hopelessness, we repent and we seek God's power to rise above. And when suffering doesn't seem to be alleviated, as quick as what we want it to be, instead of being carried Instead of carrying the burden as self-pity, we look to the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain us and to give us his joy as we trust him in the midst of it. Suffering, power, suffering, power. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I face. It doesn't matter 
what challenge is in front of me, what problem I don't know how to solve. I seek to experience Christ both in his power and in his fellowship, his presence in the midst of it every time. Every time. This is the profound beauty of pursuing Christ, knowing Christ. And this is the way I'm learning to walk. It's an incredible journey. I don't do it every time. I wish I did. But when I do, it's incredible to see his hand move on my behalf, to watch his power at work. And I get to know him in new ways that I never dreamed possible. And a sense of intimacy, the sense of his presence is like nothing else available in this world. It is the greatest reward that we can pursue in this life. Knowing Christ in his power, in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, then Paul writes, becoming like him in his death. Verse 10, becoming like him in his death. The the Greek words here for this phrase are actually passive, meaning they're not something that we actively choose to do, but it is something that is done to us. In other words, as we seek to know Christ in his power and suffering, he shapes us into becoming like him. It's something that he does. I don't have to necessarily even work at it sometimes. He does this within us. It's a transformation that God does. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Inasmuch as Christ gave everything up for us, how much are we motivated to give everything of who we are to Christ and what he has for us, what he wants to do through us? Dying to ourselves, giving up our selfish ambition, our vain conceit that we looked at back, back November, our arrogance, our pride, so that Christ can live through, Christ can be seen through us. Coming like Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. Verse 11, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, we can't unpack this phrase here now, but let me just say that Paul is not putting into question that the bodily resurrection is actually going to happen. He's not casting doubt on that at all. He simply is trying to express trying to figure out what it's going to be like when he gets there or how he's going to actually get there. Paul wrote to believers in Rome that suffering with Christ is a prerequisite to being glorified with him. Well, so back to that race. As we come around that last corner, it's only 100 meters left. 
I feel like I have absolutely nothing in the tank. I have never hurt so much in all of my life. My legs feel like rubber. My arms feel like they're 20-pound dumbbells. The pain is pulsing through every part of my body. And suddenly, it's like I feel no pain. I kick it into high gear and I pull out beside this guy. Picture this. We are sprinting neck and neck down this last 100-meter stretch. The crowd is on their feet, but all their shouting and their cheering are muffled to the sound of the wind whistling in my ears and this desperate panting of two exhausted runners. And in a moment when I am temporarily distracted by my pain, he pulls a half a step ahead of me. And as the finish line is only steps away, I give it every last ounce that I've got. And I not only catch him, but I pass him and I win. Yeah. That was incredibly exhilarating. Now, there are moments in that race that I felt like it would never be over. I wasn't sure I could endure the pain anymore but I never let my attention fall from who I was pursuing. (laughs) Is your pursuit in this life to know Christ? Or was it at one time and you've allowed yourself to get distracted Maybe it's the pain you suffer. Maybe it's the rejection you've experienced. The failure that you're so embarrassed about. Maybe it's a loss that you are grieving. The burden you bear. The uncertainty that you can't handle. You know, the Apostle Paul would say, and I would say with him, that the pursuit is worth it. Experiencing the presence and the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is the best way. Might I say it's the only way for us to take life on with all of its surprises, with all of its uncertainties, and with all of its suffering. You know, if we were to take this text and turn it into a prayer, then perhaps this can be, perhaps it can be the cry of our heart. I want to give us just a moment to reflect on some of these things. The band is going to come and they're going to just play quietly. But before they do, let me pray. God, I thank you I thank you that you are not some angry deity. You want us to know you intimately, personally. You want us to experience your your love and your presence. You want us to, to empower us, to give us what we need in the midst of our suffering. I think any one of us who have experienced empty religion, we're so tired of it, God. We want the real deal. So Holy Spirit, would you come now in these moments? 
would you inspire our heart? Would you convict us of how we've gotten distracted? And would you inspire and motivate us? Create this longing, birth this hope within us to pursue you, to get to know you and your power in the midst of suffering. Holy Spirit, lead us now as we do business with you. You know, that will be a great day. We got something else we get to celebrate today. I don't know if you noticed the light bulb on. So some of you will know Bob Aubrey. He's been in the hospital for some time now. Uh, he's not wasting his time lay laying there in his bed. Yesterday, I understand, he led the guy beside him to the Lord. Yeah! No idea whether he will, the man will actually um, live for long but he just said you got to know where you're going sir and let him to the Lord I just go praise God thank you so what's it like for us Do we want to know Christ in the midst of whatever we've got Bob didn't Bob didn't isn't letting his circumstances stop him from experiencing Christ in the middle of what he's going through well, I want to bless you. Before we do that, a um, couple things. On your way out, make sure you meet somebody that you haven't met before. And if you're in a small group, maybe invite them to your small group. If you want fellowship, uh, we've got a bunch of food downstairs and a whole bunch of baking and a whole other stuff. Come downstairs. We'd love, to, uh, we'd love to connect with you there. If you want prayer, come up to the front. We'll, we would love to pray with you, no matter whatever it is that you would like prayer for. We just... There's a whole team of people that just love to pray for people. So I just invite you to come. Let me bless you. We often hold our hands like this just to simply say, God, I want it. I want everything that you want, you have for me. And this one comes from Numbers 22, uh, verse, uh, no, sorry, number six, verse 22. May God bless you and keep you. May he turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you his peace. And all who want it say, amen. amen. Have a great week.